But it's the only way you're ever gonna learn You look back and it's all in the past I'm dwelling on the thoughts I cannot say to you If I don't say the words that maybe Good evening, welcome to NUFC Matters with me, Steve Wraith. It is a live show, uh, a break in filament today, and welcoming Malcolm and Gibbo, who kindly agreed to do a slightly later show, so we could get a live one done. Thanks for that, lads. And uh, here we are again, Malcolm, another win. But before we talk about that, let's just take the opening five minutes um, to pay our respects uh, to the dearly departed Ronnie Radford. Um, mm. uh, passed away yesterday, plays... Um, a rather unfortunate part in our history because obviously he scored that wonderful goal in the FA Cup. What the FA Cup is all about, let's face it, um, and, and for, for, for many a year, Newcastle have always been on the wrong end of FA Cup results. But uh, Ronnie Radford, listen, football's all about games, goals, yeah. entertainment, and he certainly gave Hereford fans a memory to remember time and time again. So, yeah, sadly passed away a few days ago. Maybe. Yeah, uh, um, he certainly did give them something um to remember for the rest of their lives. Um, but he his health suffered for it, that he got so much attention after that game um, f- uh, from the press, the public, and, and so on and so forth, um, that, uh, that uh, he was never quite right, that he was, his health was always under pressure. Um, and uh, I actually went down and spoke at a, um, at, a, at an annual dinner for Hereford Football Club, um, or oh, a couple of decades back now, and uh, Ronnie Radford was one of the ex-players that still lived in in Hereford, uh, but he couldn't make the dinner. He was too ill, sadly. Um, and uh, it would have been nice if he had been there. He, he it, as far as I'm aware. That was his only ever goal for the club. And what a goal it was. It was 35 yards. I was I was actually just a yard behind him. I was on the verge of tackling him um, when he just let fly. You know, when you think, heavens above, he never scored um, until that moment. And it was a 35-yarder that as soon as it left his boot, I just looked at the trajectory of it and I thought, William McFall, don't you even bother going for that. You'll never get there. Never get there. And uh, uh, and it, uh, well, it, it got them back into the game because I had scored some while before. And uh, that made it one each. And, of course, um, uh, the, the, there was a further goal to come. And, uh, and that was in extra time. And that knocked us out the cup. You were there as well, John, of course. I was indeed. I was indeed. Um, I mean, we've got to remember the incredible thing, because you think of non-league players now, think of Gateshead, for example, uh, the equivalent sort of league, they're full-time, the majority of them. Mm. He was a part-time player. I mean, he, he had a day job. I think he was up on a roof somewhere the next day doing a roofing job. Um, and the guy that scored the winner, Ricky George, was driving a London taxi the next day. I mean, yeah. it's, ama- it's amazing, Malcolm, you know, that um, the most sensational result, really, in, in FA Cup history, because we were, we were first division and they were non-league, and um, the guy that got the winner never got the headlines. Ronnie Radford, to this day, has been the headlines of Newcastle losing at Hereford, when in fact it was the sub, Ricky George. Ricky scored. George, yeah. He, he scored the winner, but you don't get the headlines. It's, it's yeah. quite unusual. But, um, I mean, Ronnie Radford not only made his own career in terms of being remembered, and that's why we're talking about him today, but he made the career of a certain John Motson as well, because he became the great name that he became in broadcasting as a result of broadcasting on that match. Yeah, he made his debut, didn't he, that day? Yeah, he was just in his early 20s. He got the game because, if you remember, Malcolm, and you do ever so well, it was on fourth round day. It was on the next round on the side. He was told to go down there to cover the game when they were going to focus totally on the games in the next round. 
until the result was what it was. And he's catapulted to the top of the area, uh, top of the playlist in match of the day. And, of course, he did it so well that he became um, this superstar. And, of course, Motley's missus was a Newcastle United fan. So it was there was all this intricacy going on. But, yes, there was a sadness, bless him, in, in, in seeing that Ronnie died. 79, but he'd been ill, as Malcolm said, for quite a while. But um, what I want to concentrate on while thinking about Ronnie and his family is that uh, let's eliminate that result by winning the FA Cup or the League Cup this season, guys. <laughs> yeah, great Why stuff. Yeah, I was just going to say, great stuff, Mal. Um, you know, the weekend again, we 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 feel feel as if we're on repeat, but for the right reasons each week now, don't we? And uh, uh, the, the first half, as we we discussed at the Dog and Parrot, and um, you know, was 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 a not a touchy affair. Just Villa were working out of their socks to try and stop Newcastle playing, but the second half was they were, brilliant. and they they had a lot of possession, um, and they they got around Newcastle's box um, an awful lot. But they never had a shot in the whole of the game, Aston Villa. No, you know, and and, and Newcastle's defence is playing that well that it's denying opposing sides, not just Aston Villa but others as well. It's denying them um, any any sniff of a goal, and that's something that's actually concerning me. Is um, is Nick Pope sort of? Being un underused um, because of the, of, the, of the quality of the defence in front of him, and therefore isn't showing up enough for Gareth Southgate to 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 put him as number one in the England side for the World Cup. It does um, concern me because I I personally think that Nick Pope is the better of the goalkeepers in this country of the English goalkeepers right now. Um, uh, uh, in, in line for the England side at the World Cup. I think he should be number one, um, but he's hardly having anything to do in the Newcastle side right now. I think one, one of the things, looking back at the Aston Villa game, uh, and yes, the, the first half wasn't niggly, it was probably frustrating, but the thing that killed the first half, guys, was the two huge hold-ups for injuries. Martinez, the goalkeeper. Yes. One. I mean, it killed the game. We had 10 minutes extra time at the yeah. end of the first half. That killed <laughs> the flow of the game. But once and, uh, Newcastle went ahead with the penalty, it was it was just, they just capitulated and we just moved to another level. But John, should the goalkeeper not have gone off he had a head injury. Oh, he sure, should yeah. not, sure, yeah. sure. He should sure. not continue playing with a head injury, for heaven's that, sake. That's true. That's true. Um, that's absolutely I don't know why the, the referee allowed it to go on so long. Well, but, and allowed the keeper to remain on the pitch. Yeah, it was a. Because he had to go option. off a bit later on. But I mean, if you look at it from our point of view, which is what I want to do, not Villa's point of view, mm -hmm. once we got that penalty, and it was a clear penalty, Young can complain as yes, long as he yeah. likes. But There's I no complaint he, from anybody, I, thought, I don't think. I thought he was a basketball player, Malcolm. His hand was that far in the air. I thought yeah. he's, he, it's a tip in this. He's, it's a, it was a nonsense. Once he scored, you look at what we did. We not only scored four goals, but Wilson... Had a great finish immediately afterwards in the first half. He was rightly flagged offside because he was offside, but he off took it at pace while yes. he went slotted in. So Wilson, apart from scoring two, scores an offside goal and he hits the bar with a header in the second half. And Murphy hit the back post with a shot in the second half. So we scored four. Wilson hit the bar, Murphy hit the post, and there was an offside goal. So, I mean, they were absolutely slaughtered in the end. And Newcastle won, you know, in a canter at the end of the mm -hmm. game. And it was fabulous to see. And the position we find ourselves in, and we've only got two more league games to the World Cup break, three games with the League Cup. Newcastle have only lost one out of 13. And there's only two of their sides in the league that's lost only one game. And that's the top two, Arsenal and Man City. Yes. 
Arsenal and Man Arsenal City. Arsenal and Man City and us are the only sides that have lost once. And, um, I mean, we are three points ahead of Chelsea, who are next up here. So, we've got an opportunity to stretch that. And we're eight points ahead of Liverpool. Who would have thought, at this stage of the season, 13 games in, Newcastle would be eight points ahead of Liverpool before this season started? That's yeah, incredible. Well, I think it, that's... Uh, um, Getting um, our own back on Liverpool, John, because I still feel that we would, that Newcastle United were cheated at Anfield. Oh, well, sure. That, I mean, yeah, yeah. The only game they lost, they lost in the 98th minute. Yeah, but there's, yes, they went on for ages, but also the second Isaac goal, there, yeah. there was no good reason for them to uh, disallow that. Definitely they were, they not. were just searching for anything. That might give them half an excuse, and they had less than half an excuse, and they disallowed it. I thought it was shocking. Absolutely, getting a lot of questions in tonight. So let's uh, let's change yeah. tact away from what's going on and um, take a few of your questions. Barry says, Malcolm, who is the best non-league player that you've ever seen? And I'll ask the same question to John after you've answered that one, Malcolm. The best non-league player. Yeah, you've seen um, a few. You're at North Shields still. Um, well, yes. Yes, um, and I and I played non-league, of course, uh, of course with yeah. Tunbridge, uh, but I, and I'm I'm not sure whether he actually played non-league, but um, but Terry Venables played for the England amateur side. Um, so as a, as an amateur, uh, I'm not sure whether he was actually at a league club at the time. Um, yeah. The best, the best non-league player I, I've ever seen is a fella sitting in the middle, Mark McDonald. who was a non-league player at Tunbridge. In the uh, next, be- uh, in the next best was Les Ferdinand. who was a non-league player at Hayes. It Hayes. Yes. And yeah. and, and yeah. somewhere in the list of the top ten, alone not up naturally with McDonald and uh, Ferdinand, would be Alan Shoulder, who was a non-league player at Blaise Bonds and yes, comes straight. Yeah. Straight from Bly's Spartans, that wonderful cup one they had where they played Wrexham in the fifth round. He came straight from the Bly's Spartans non-league side into the Newcastle first team in partnership with Peter With and scored a lot of goals. Right. So and, and John, one. just on that, I had um, I had just joined Arsenal and if Blind Spartans had beaten Wrexham... They were playing Arsenal. They, they then would have played Arsenal. Yeah, with you was, again. at St James Park, I presume. Yeah, I mean, that it, it, have made it, it was, interesting. Yeah, it was incredible. But um, yeah, they're the best. And of course, uh, you, if you mention him, and I think the gentleman might well have been talking about a non-league player that stayed in non-league, which is what Ronnie Radford did, because these guys went on to be superstars in the big league. You would include Vardy at Leicester in that, wouldn't you? Who I yes, saw all over the place yeah. as a non-league player when I was yeah. at Gateshead. When I was at Gateshead, I was totally aware of Vardy, the non-league player, when I yeah. owned Gateshead. Before Who he was he playing for, John, at the well, time? He played, he played for everybody. He played for Halifax non-league. He played for Pontefract. He played for a few. And he right. played up at Dumb City. Uh, in in non-league football, um, it was quite incredible. He didn't become a well, he'd become an England so, international like like McDonald and like Les Ferdinand. Yes, yeah, yeah. And so was he some, was. He was what? How old was he when he finally came into the league? Mid twenties, I would think. He was as late good. as that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you go back, it's quite surprising. How many people did actually play non-league apart from Les Ferdinand, Mount McDonald, Stuart Pearce from Newcastle started non-league. Yes, Warren Barton started yeah. non-league, as well as Alan Shoulder. We, we could do the programme on that, but I think we better stop there. <laughs> <laughs> good stuff. Good stuff. Always good to get your questions, get them in uh, as and when you can. Evening, Brian. Hope you're well. I did notice as well, we, we uh, broadcast uh, this uh, out on a couple of the uh, the social media channels every week just to promote it. And Andrew James is on LinkedIn. He says, this is probably the best defence I've experienced uh, us having as an NUFC fan since 1990 and we only a third into the season. Yeah, doesn't that feel uh, good? 100%. Um, okay, uh, other questions. Let's uh, let's see this one. Paul Patterson, good evening. He says, uh, trying not to get carried away, but the question must be asked, 
How likely is it that Newcastle United will be playing European football next season? And dare I say it, the Champions League, Malcolm. Well, yeah, I, I, Newcastle aren't ready for the Champions League and, and they haven't got um, the ability under, under these um, new uh, 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 fair play rules to be able to strengthen enough pretty much to to succeed in the Champions League, to be able to compete at, at a good level, you have to have two separate first teams. That's pretty much so. So you have to have a, a, a quality that is almost um, on a par with each other, those two sides. Um, and so uh, it, it's, and it's two really hard games every week. Plus, you've got all the travelling of the Champions League or other European competitions. It's a lot of travelling. Um, and uh, uh, Newcastle United, they haven't been involved for a very long time. And it's getting used to all of, all of that. Newcastle United, good heavens above, they hardly play a midweek fixture. I know there's one next week against Crystal Palace, but but um, it, that's a rarity in, in Newcastle's programme. And so uh, uh, it, it, it's, it, it takes an awful lot of hard work to get yourself up to that level of fitness that's required to, um, to play twice a week and to be playing the likes of, dear me, Inter Milan... Leipzig and Bayern Munich and so on and so forth. I, I, t I take the point absolutely totally, but what I feel myself, Malcolm, is that that is a question about how we might cope with it when we get there. We can qualify for that. Because we can qualify, yes. yes. But I'm saying that I don't think that we're actually ready for that level of European football but at the moment. Were Leicester City ready to win the, the Premier League title? But the dead, if if you get... I will be disappointed if Newcastle aren't in Europe next season. Now, by that, I don't necessarily mean the Champions League, although I'm still, I'm still dreaming of that, but European competition. Because it's more than possible for us to do... And you know what? This is the season for Newcastle United... To make a huge statement. I didn't think I'd be saying that because we've made much more progress than I was expecting to be for progress. I look at the rest of the season and I say, what are the two targets Newcastle could do? One's Europe and one's win a domestic trophy, be that yes. the FA Cup or the League yeah. Cup. Now, this is the best season to try to do that. And you know why? Because Every top club this season has got Europe. As we are speaking, Manchester United are playing in Europe. Man City yes. have just played. Um, Liverpool, Chelsea. Chelsea. This season, Newcastle have no European games. They've got about one game apart from next week. They've got no extra games midweek. They've got about one game a season. So they can win either the FA Cup or the League Cup and qualify for Europe, which you can do from seventh, this season because they've got an advantage. Their high-pressing game can take a lot out of you physically. If you're playing three times a week, Saturday, Thursday, Wednesday, or Thursday, Saturday, every week in Europe, we're yeah. not. We're not. We're playing... No extra games because we're not in Europe yet. So this is a wonderful, wonderful season to actually do something, whether it's win a domestic competition or qualify as high as we can for Europe, because this is the lightest workload we will have if we are successful. This season's the lightest workload. And we can do that. You know what it depends on for me? It depends on keeping, say, three players... Fit. Callum Wilson, Bruno, and unbelievably, Almiron, because he's scoring all the goals. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Keep one three fit and we can qualify for Europe. Have injuries and and it then becomes very difficult. It's not that long ago, guys. If we remember at the beginning of September, and I was looking it up today, at the beginning of September, we were without Bruno and Callum Wilson in the side. And we drew back-to-back home games with average opposition, Crystal Palace and Bournemouth. Because we had two, and Maxi was out then as well, by the way, but Maxi's been out now. But we couldn't cope with those injuries. We didn't lose, but we didn't win. And we started winning again when Bruno and Callum Wilson come back in the side. So if we can keep our players fit, we can win a domestic cup this season and qualify for Europe. If we don't keep them fit, if we lose. The three players like we did. I mean, they were, we were very disappointed, Malcolm, when we back-to-back couldn't beat uh, Crystal Palace and Bournemouth. But the reason being, we didn't have Bruno, we didn't have Callum Wilson, and we didn't have Maxi. Mm. Now, why are we winning? Because we've got Bruno and Callum Wilson. Yeah. So the, the secret for me is can we keep them going? And you know the other secret guy? If we do, if we keep going till the break and then at the start of the break we take up from where we've left off and we're going well, buy a centre-forward in January and we can qualify for Europe. Buy a yeah. centre-forward in January. It's easier said than done because how many people would want to sell Newcastle United a good centre-forward in January? They hate Newcastle United anyway for a variety of reasons. One one isn't two the fact that we are going to smash the top six, and in the top six don't like that. So where will we get our centre forward? Easier said than done, but I think Malcolm has always agreed with you on that one. The for me, there's two positions as we sit here tonight, guys, where we are vulnerable. I was looking at the team that could play Crystal Palace, for example. You could bring Target in. You could bring Maxi in. You could bring the cells or Shelby and think we can get away with it. But the two positions where you can't get away with it is centre-forward if Callum Wilson's out. Mm-hmm. Because we haven't got Isaac, who's not a centre-forward but could fill in. We haven't got him. So centre-forward. And because Dolo's injured, we can't... If Pope is out, we struggle there. Because we Dubrovka's gone and Dolo's injured. So we've got the kid from Liverpool who is not yes. full of yeah. confidence. He's not yeah. full of confidence. So we can't do without, even against Crystal Palace next Wednesday when we make all the changes. Do we do without Callum Wilson and Pope? The team looks different with them two out, mate. Because yes, of what we've got is backup. John, it's an excellent point that you've raised. It really is. and uh, and And of course... I, I'm, I'm sure that the manager is, is absolutely well aware of exactly what you're talking of. Needs to strengthen in those in those areas, but of course there's been limitation, you know. And I, I would think that he's just wanting to knock the walls down around him sure. to be able to sure. to do all of the improvement immediately. And the awful of thing is, Malcolm, the awful thing. The awful thing, mate, is that we could afford to do it, but we're not allowed to yes, do it because of fair Absolutely. Play. Yeah. We could Isn't afford it to do it. Frustrating. We could afford to, but we can't. Yeah. Uh, Mourinho is. Hey, 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 enough of that. We're cooking on gas kids. So <laughs> well, it's something just to have the conversation, isn't it? It's but wonderful. Last, last season, I was trying to say to you, come on, Malcolm, I want you to tell me three sides worse than us, so we stay up. I mean, yeah, that was yeah. Last season's yes. conversation. Yeah, but yeah, we were, you know, instead of looking at the Champions League, we were looking at uh, the Championship and wondering how well we could do in that. <laughs> classic, absolute classic. You never thought we'd be having these conversations 12 months on, lads. <laughs> we really, really didn't. Um, lots of questions. Rob says, question for the two legends that I'm out with. John, where do you think Newcastle need to strengthen and which players would you bring in? It's a question we get asked, you know, every time a transfer window is on yeah, the horizon. I think, 
I think John's just um, highlighted. You, do you agree with it, Mark? Do you agree with it, though? I mean, I still think we need a, a forward. And I, I'll, I'll tell you what I'll yes, do. I'll absolutely, do, I'll, we do. I will dovetail it with a couple of these ones because there's a couple transfer ones coming in. Um, so we'll double it up like this, Mark. Would you uh, break the bank to sign Jude Ballington? Says Dave. And David R says, what are your latest thoughts on Chris Wood? And I'm, I'll answer this first because I have defended Chris on here. Do you see him moving on next summer if we can find a suitable upgrade? Yeah, I think Chris Wood will leave the club. Um, it could be a shock departure in, in January. There yeah. could be a club really desperate for Chris Wood's finishing skills in the championship or, you know, another team. But I don't think Chris Wood will be here beyond the summer. He could go January. But Do you not feel that... that... He's now starting to realise that everything is just leaping so far away from him that he, he's actually yeah. he, he's out of touch with, with the club that he's at and he's out of touch with the game that's being played. Yeah, it's sad. Yeah. It yeah, is, I would agree. The interesting, the interesting thing about Bellingham, I mean, I don't think... We are yet at the stage where the kid will come to us because a year's time he might, but at the moment he has a choice of Liverpool or Man City or Arsenal or who are guaranteed up there in the Champions League. Does he come to us in January? He possibly hasn't brought us into his equation in his head. But I mean, I would be, and you would have to break the back. They're talking about more than 100 million from, which is more than. When you think of Grealish at that, then you, you understand why they're saying that. But, I mean, we can't afford £100 million in January. Uh, sorry, we, it's not a matter of whether we can afford it. We wouldn't be allowed to with fair play. Um, That's right. But if we look at Madison, I, I would like to go for Madison. And I know I've beaten that gong before. But you know why? Because we need a centre-forward. We've both said, all three of us have agreed, we need an out-and-out centre-forward. Um, but the next best thing after an out-and-out centre-forward is a central midfield player who scores a pile of goals going through the middle in chief support of your centre-forward. And that's what Madison does. Uh, he scores goals and he makes them from there. So that is a good thing. And what we've got to remember in January, guys, um, trying to pluck the optimistic things out of the air, Isaac's back. He's only played three games, so he is literally like a new signing. I mean, he, he's only played three games so far. He's a £60 million new signing for us in January, isn't he? Because he's only yeah. played three games and scored two goals. Um, so he will be back into circulation. But, yeah, we need... We need a... Um, we won't go and get a goalkeeper because of Dollar, because Dollar will be fit by then and will be the backup keeper because you don't need him too much. At the moment, we're vulnerable with Pope because if Pope doesn't play against Crystal Palace, we're, we're, we're definitely struggling in that position, in my humble opinion. I would agree with you for sure. He's got to play, hasn't he? He's got to yeah. play on Wednesday. Um, but we're struggling up front regardless. You know, beyond, beyond, you know, Darlow will come back and do okay as the backup. But we haven't got a backup to Wilson. And we do know Wilson's going to go. I mean, I read his blog just in, in, in the last 24 hours. And my heart skipped a beat because he said he hasn't been feeling too good this week. He's been feeling a bit low physically um, talking about, you know, like you might have a cold coming on. So. And I mean, I'm, I'm all of a sudden thinking, oh, shit. You know, what sugar, what's going on here? Like, you know, mine, he'll play at Southampton. He's not he'll play at Southampton if he's if he's got COVID, because he if you don't play at Southampton, you don't get picked in the England squad, which comes out on Monday because it's here yes. we'll go again. The lad's not yeah. able to play. So he'll play down there if if he's comes on like the invisible man with bandages all over him. He'll play down there. But will he play Wednesday? Etc. Etc. And if he gets injured, you know this isn't it awful? I mean, I want him to go to the World Cup a because he deserves it, and b because it means so much to him. 
But John Gibson and Jordy doesn't want him to go to the World Cup because I want him to sit with his feet up at home and be ready to fire on all cylinders for us afterwards. And he might get injured in the World Cup and come back and not play for us. Isaac got injured with Sweden and we've never seen him since. Mm. We don't want that to happen to Callum Wilson with England. But I want him to go because he deserves it. And he, I think his heart is absolutely in it. And so he deserves it. But I'll be just as yeah. nervous during the World Cup for him as I am during the three games next week for him. Yeah, great yeah. points. Great, great points. I mean, Wilson is, I think he made that 55-man squad, Malcolm. It's, I've got to be honest, the first time I've ever heard of it. But 55-man squad, then, I, then it gets chopped down and chopped down. Yeah. Yeah, and, and and of course others. On Monday it becomes twenty five or something, doesn't it? Yeah, it becomes the final squad on Monday. Yeah, you know, fingers crossed that uh, that with all the players, all the Newcastle players that will be going to the World Cup, that they come back safe and sound for heaven's sake. Otherwise, Absolutely. you find that half your team's depleted. Yeah, because because you're right, man. Because we're looking beyond England, beyond Trippier and Wilson. You're looking at the other guys with the other clubs, etc., etc. So yeah, with other countries, yes. Every club, we don't know what's going to happen when they come. That's what you get when you get a World Cup in the middle of the season. The thing mm. is ludicrous. The thing I, is absolutely ludicrous. I, I think it. I think it. it it's so horrendously organised by the footballing authorities um, that uh, they should be sacking themselves. But of course, they're. Uh, it, it's all about money, isn't it? Money, well, money. Well, it was money. all very, it was all very suspicious, wasn't it? I mean, oh, yeah, when, when the car got so. it, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And in the yeah. two old guys that won world football, Platini and the other fella, I mean, they've just been up on case after case after case in recent times, which yeah. tells you your own. Well, it, you know, it you tells us that it's been going. Money. It's been going on for years, John. Sure, sure. Talking about the World Cup, Michael West says, uh, World Cup in a couple of weeks, lads. Obviously, apart from England, is there another international team you'll be following or fancy to win the tournament? Um, my other team will be Brazil, purely for the reason that we'll have a couple of representatives there. Um, yes. I'm sure Newcastle fans will probably get behind Brazil if England were to, to go out early. Is there any any team that you fancy, Mal, in the tournament? Germany. As always usual. Got, you've always got to pay respect to Germany. Um, uh, uh, and uh, and Holland, perhaps, although they've not been that strong over the over the last few years, have they? Um, but I I I enjoy watching um, the World Cup purely as a it's a different type of game to what we see um, being played at, at, at league level um, back home. Um, and uh, but ooh, the one the one thing that players have got to overcome is the uh, is uh, uh, the um, uh, the extreme temperatures that that they'll be playing under, um, and will the pitches hold up? Um, I don't know because all, all all players these days are playing at top level. They're playing on on such um, absolutely fantastic pitches. These ones that they're due to go out and play on, um, that they've sort of only just been laid. Um, stadia not yet quite finished still. So yeah. it's um, it, 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 it's going to be an it's going to be an interesting time, and I just hope that there's not too much upset over there. The other team that I will follow uh, will be Brazil. Mm. Brazil appealed to the romance in me. I started following the World Cups where I actually went to the finals on behalf of the Chronicle in 1966 when we were at home. Yes. The first one abroad was the 1970 in Mexico when I saw the greatest team I've ever seen in my whole life, and that was that Brazilian side with Pelé, Tostar, Gerson, Jesse. Mm. Etc. Etc. I have never seen a team greater than that team, and I've gone on right away through to my last World Cup that I did live was in Japan, and then um, throughout I've adored watching the Brazilian sides, whether whether it's been Ronaldinho, whether it's been Ronaldo, 
not the Portuguese boy, of course, but they sent the Woolly Polly centre forward. They mm -hmm. scored a fabulous number of goals. And all of the ball players have had, they've been wonderful entertainers. And now they've got our hero, Bruno. Um, so I'll be with, with England because I'm English, the same as I'm with Newcastle mm -hmm. United because I'm a Geordie. Um, but Brazil will be my second team, A, because of Bruno, and B, because throughout my years of covering the World Cup, they've given me more satisfaction, more joy as a neutral than any other team in the world. John, yeah. John from QDX says, England versus Brazil, penalty shootout. Bruno with the last penalty. Do we want him to miss, Malcolm? <laughs> oh, dear, oh, dear. I wish somebody hadn't, uh, hadn't asked that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it, it just what, what about what about it, what about playing playing devil's advocate? What about if it's in England v Brazil? It's come down to a penalty each, and the one that scores goes through, and we've got Bruno for them, and we've got Ivan Tony that started off at Newcastle, <laughs> to, the man that never misses penalties, taking it for England. <laughs> uh, there you go. What about that situation for putting Geordies right at the centre of the whole kit and caboodle? Brilliant. So, uh, C. We're Dan dreaming. Smith. We're dreaming. We're dreaming. We are. C. Dan Smith, I've got to be honest, I do love your name, mate, on here. Um, reminds us of T. Dan Smith. But so Brazil yes. playing in 66, then went to the final. Uh, what a memory. Uh, Supermac, did you enjoy playing alongside Alan Gowling? The two of you scored lots of goals, says Arthur. We did score lots of goals, but... Uh, but... In all honesty, I, I wasn't really playing alongside of him because uh, the manager, in, in putting Alan Gowling up front, I, I played with him in the first game against Ipswich, scored two goals, and I don't think that, the, that uh, the manager liked that very much. So he sort of moved me back into a, an advanced midfield role. Um, and, and You're lucky you didn't end up in goal. I know, I know. It was a bizarre <laughs> season, John. We, the team did all right, um, did fine that season, but it was just a bizarre way that the manager was carrying on. You know, midway through, he suddenly um, chucked Terry Hibbert out the club, literally. And yet Terry had just played the game of his life against Derby. Um, so... It, it, you enjoyed you enjoyed playing with Tudor more, I think, Malcolm. Didn't you? I did very much. Yes, uh, and we uh, and we had a really good understanding as a front pair. Um, uh, um, but 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 when um, when this other lad came in, he was very much. Um, he worked on an individual basis. He didn't look to form that sort of partnership so that you get the movement of a pair of forwards. And, and I do miss watching it these days because you you so seldom see it. Um, and, uh, but Alan, Alan Gowling, he, he, um, he scored goals um, and, uh, and, and well done to him on that. Um, but I, I I always remember uh, uh, the, the manager uh, coming into the dressing room before the start of the season, and he and he said, "I've just signed a player um, who uh, who's going to score more goals than you." And he's looking me straight in the eye, and I said, uh, "For your information, that player doesn't exist." <laughs> <laughs> and from there. I got moved back to midfield. I was going to say, I think he, I think that's when uh, Robert E. Lee thought he would keep moving you backwards till you're standing in the Gallagher then. Oh, something like that, yeah. It was a bizarre <laughs> season, John, because um, all, the, all the time the, um, he was sort of, the manager was trying to create a, a rift in the dressing room um, and, the, and the players weren't having any of it. But the manager, he just oh, he kept let's um, let's split the dressing room in half, um, and it, it was it was a ridiculous way to carry Gordon, on. Gordon, Gordon was a, a, a 
funny lad because he was a big bully that he. I didn't I find anything funny about him, John. I can tell you. <laughs> now we don't want to go there, Malcolm. Be careful, man. Um, <laughs> what are we, man? Yes, he come from Blackburn, which was third division or whatever at the time. He wasn't a big name, but he was very much when he got to the top flight at Newcastle, and then his next job at Everton. He didn't like big name players, especially big name centre forwards. He, he wanted to hammer you at Newcastle, and the minute he put up sticks, having sold you and Everton and done a run at Everton, he did the same to Duncan McKenzie at Everton. Yes, he did. John, John, can you imagine that a manager in the first division, top division, um, actually starts criticising a player for creating headlines? Oh, I know. That's what he was doing with me. You know, yep. you want all the publicity. No, it just comes if you keep sticking the ball in the net. Well, if you're a centre forward who scores goals, you tend to get a little bit of publicity. Well, of course. Yeah, yeah. And I was being criticised for it by him. Mind, if you're a centre forward that doesn't score goals at Newcastle, you tend to get a bit of headlines. Oh, I think he would have been, <laughs> oh, he would have been um, joyous to have Chris Wood in his side. I promised I promised Steve that we weren't going to talk about that fellow whose name yeah. I can't remember. And we're we're, we're going to segue away from that because Tim Cairns wants to know. He says, you were talking about Tudor. He says, what's the panel's preferred crisp flavour? Well, mine's salt and vinegar or pickled onion, Tim. Malcolm, have you got a preferred Tudor crisp? Uh, I'm quite happy with um, ordinary plain crisps. And John? Well, we were pickled a few times at Newcastle United, so I, I suppose I'd have to go for pickled In a number of ways, too. <laughs> uh, brilliant. Okay, uh, next question from you, John, was from Alan. He says, John, does uh, Ushpest Doza still exist? He says, I've not heard of them since 1969. He says, that was a good year. Yeah, yeah, they do, they do, they do indeed. Mm. Um, and funny enough, when we... Yeah, because you went over there, John, didn't you? So yeah, when when we went to Boston for the anniversary, was it fifty years or six years? Just two or three years back. Yes, uh, they actually invited over, and it was the old players that were meeting. But they're very much like the whole of Hungarian club soccer is very much like almost like the Irish league now, if you know what I mean. It is such a low level. If the Hungarians have a good team. Or, or if they're starting to rise again, they were the world's number one power at one time when Puskas was playing oh, and yes. Hitchikuti yeah. and all those players. But they then went, after the Hungarian uprising and everything that happened, all the players went away and all the good... And they're slowly coming back now, nothing to what they were, but to get a couple of results I set in the international league. All the players are playing abroad. They're not playing the Hungarian league. But they... The Hungarian League still exists. Uspest Doza still exists. Um, Sunderland still exists, I believe. Um, <laughs> which, so, <laughs> these, also these, clubs, these clubs stay there. And Uspest right. Doza are still there. But uh, they're not yeah. the first. When we played them, they were, to coin that phrase, we almost put on a T-shirt, they were the dog's hydraulics. Sure. But of, of late, John... The Hungarian international side have had some really good results. Yeah, but as I say, all the good players aren't playing in the Hungarian league. They're no, scattered that's over right. you were playing for other club sides. That yeah, they they are, are decent, Malcolm. Did, you know, uh, the I, standard of domestic football in Hungary has never recovered from the Hungarian uprising and all. No, the that's right. Yeah, yes. Oh, do you recall, because I sort of have quite a sort of vivid recollection of of when Hungary came and played at Wembley and won 6-3? Oh, oh, fabulous. Absolutely. They were, they, the side, they were the first foreign side to play England at Wembley and absolutely take them apart. And it was yes. Puskas and Hitchikuti. And it was shortly after that when we got Uspestosa. I mean, yeah. at that time, they talk about there was two great sides in world football, international sides I'm talking about. 
that have never won the World Cup. And the two great sides were Hungary and Holland when the Cruyff side got the two finals but never won the trophy. Holland has never won the World Cup. Hungary never won the World Cup. Um, but how they, how they didn't one particular year, I think it's when they, uh, they played Czechoslovakia, they were so superior to everyone else and it didn't happen. But so were the Dutch at one time. Uh, but Hungary, when they come and played England at Wembley with all the great England players, Billy Wright and all the, the, the great superstars, mm. and they beat them 6-3. And people forget there was a return in Budapest and it was either 6-1 or 7-1 to Hungary in the return in Budapest. And the one yes. goal was scored by a Newcastle United player, Ivo Bordas. Um, yes. Yeah. I'm showing, I'm showing my age now. I'm, I'm, I just read a lot. I'm not that old. I just read the, <laughs> I just read the history books. Like. I did like this one from Eamon, John. I think you, you and Malcolm will appreciate it. He says, Christopher Lee would have been a better manager than Gordon Lee. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because... Um, I mean, Christopher Lee would have known how to deal with crosses anyway, wouldn't he? Yeah. So we wouldn't we, we wouldn't let so many goals in. I'll set you up. You keep on. And I'll smash him in. You set me up and I'll smash him in. <laughs> Blue Rhythm Boy says, Gibbo, which star, any walk of life, not just football, have you most been starstruck by or in awe of? We know because you, we've just recorded a programme, Stephen, uh -huh. which talks about me away from football. Yeah, and you know that I named somebody there. And so do you want to keep it for that show? Yeah, we'll keep it well, for that show. Well, no, I, I think I think there's so many super duper stories that we'll both come up with in that that we can name the guy, and it was Muhammad Ali, yeah. who is the only sportsman I have asked for an autograph as an adult. I've got, I've still got autograph books upstairs in the house. With all the great players autographs in from Stanley Matthews and John Charles and all them to Emil Zatopek, the runner, and all the great that I got as a kid, all the great um, Hollywood stars, autographs of people like Humphrey Bogart and uh, Bridget Bardo and um, everyone. But the one I asked as an adult was Muhammad Ali. Um, mm -hmm. Just, just. A different class as a person Totally in awe of him And a footballer that I've remained in awe of And there was an awful lot But I've remained in awe of because it was so long ago Having met him And watched him play live Was Pele From that 1970 World Cup Finals In Mexico Which is when I went across England were defending the World Cup They won 66 In 70 over there We did terrific over there but Pele in that Brazilian team. So Pele and Mohamed Ali immediately jumped, jumped mm -hmm. right to mine uh, without a shadow of doubt. All right. Can I answer the same question, Steve? Yeah. Um, because it really follows on from our previous conversation. Um, it, it, I, we, we were talking about the great um, so, the Hungarian side of the 50s. Um, and, and then in the 60s, um, it was about 1964, I was 14, and, and, and I went to uh, Chelsea Football Ground, um, Stamford Bridge, to, to watch the Bobby Tambling testimonial. And it was a world side playing against Chelsea. And in the midfield was a then-retired Puskas. He was about 38 and he had a massive gut on him. I was going to say, that was 38 stone, Malcolm. I, oh, absolutely. And um, and the Chelsea supporters were giving him dog's abuse. And, um, and then all of a sudden, about it was after about half an hour, and all of a sudden, the right winger has, has not this cross um, over some 35 yards from goal um, has knocked the cross to uh, Puskas, who has chested it and then just volleyed it. And it's gone right in the top corner and the keeper never moved. Oh. And he just silenced, absolutely silenced Stamford Bridge. Stun stunning it was one of those stunning moments. 
Um, Stunning player, Malcolm, and I know you oh, said this uh, to me before about him. But yet, he, you know, Malcolm, he never gets a mention these days. When when people ask the question, "Who's the greatest footballer has ever been?" You get Pele mentioned, you get Cruyff mentioned, you get Maradona mentioned, you get yes. Messi mentioned, you get uh, Ronaldo mentioned. You it, never get Busquets mentioned because it was no, so long ago to a certain extent. Sure, but it's but, it's because they. Um, they had good records in the World Cups. Yeah. Um, yeah. But but I was going to follow it on, John. I had just completed my first season at Newcastle and I took the family on holiday to, uh, um, to Greece. And I was walking through Athens one day and coming towards me along the pavement some some 50, 60 yards away was Puskas. And, and of course, it turned out that he was the manager of... of, of, of um, Parathenikos was Parathenikos. Yeah, in, in Athens. And he just locked eyes with me and he came rushing al along and he said, he said, I know you, I know you. He said, you've had an excellent season this year. He said, you've done very well for Newcastle United. He said, you're Malcolm and I am Ferran Pula. I said, I know exactly who you are. And I was, and it was just one of the, those few moments, those few minutes uh, were one of the greatest in my life talking to, to I, I I, I think arguably he's he he is the best player that I've ever seen. Um, I, I, although I, it was limited as to what I was able to see, you know, there was very little on television in those days. Um, but I saw enough of him. Um, he he was he was an absolute genius. Um, I was going to say just just to wrap the thing up because I have mentioned this on a program much earlier. Uh, my pleasure to see Ferenc Puskas. Played yeah. in James's Park because you played in Jackie Milburn's testimonial, which oh, I he? helped oh, he helped talk about and do the publicity for. Well, Jackie was a dear friend, as you right. know. And Puskas played in that game. And you know what? There was two people played in that game that you would have paid money just to watch. On a circus, they were that yes. good. And I mean, that is a compliment because of their ball skills. One was Puskas and one was Len Shackleton, who went yes. into two weeks of training. He was finished by then, of course he was. He went into two, he was such a proud man, he went into two days, two weeks of training, secretly, not known to anybody, just to play in this little match at St. James's Park. And at one stage, in that game, when he got the ball, he flicked it, on the ground with the outside of his boot, dropped on one knee, went like that, and the ball went in a circle and come straight yeah. back to him without anybody <laughs> touching it. <laughs> and that was Shaq's party piece. And Puskas weighed in with his bit. And um, Joe Harvey and Jackie Milburn just stood there and said, that's why I played them too in this game. And, and it was a great memory for us because I sat opposite him in the Dulce Vita nightclub opposite Puskas on a long table that Warjack had for the players, and he wasn't speaking English on it, he was just sitting there looking like one of the Buddhas, you know, the big fat Buddha there sitting yes. there. And, yeah. you know, <laughs> yes. and his tummy <laughs> come out, and, and he uh, just signed on. He was the center of attraction, uh, one of the great, great players, fabulous player. Uh, sure. Happy well, memories. Well, this meeting of mine in 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 Athens, uh, in the middle of Athens, with um, Puskas, um, he then he then said, um, uh, uh, he said, right, uh, um, next week, he said, we've we've got a friendly match. He said, I want you to come and play. I said, I can't come and play for you. I'm a Newcastle United player. He said, um, he said, now Newcastle United, yes, your manager Joe Harvey, I know him. Um, and he said, uh, "I will, um, I will, I will uh, give him a ring." And the next thing, I was at the hotel, uh, at the hotel, and Joe, 
Harvey has rung the hotel and he's all excited and he's saying, you'll never guess who I've just had on the phone. <laughs> and I said, don't tell me, Ferenc Puskas. He said, how did you know? I said, I was talking to him in Athens earlier today. He said, well, he's asked me if you're playing this uh, friendly match next next week. And I, and I said, and of course you said no. He said, I'm never going to say no to Puskas, am I? He said, you'll play. If Puskas wants you to play, you play. And, and I did. I played in the game. And uh, so I, I, I had time in the, in the great man's presence. And uh, it, 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 he was a wonderful character. But he just seemed to know absolutely everybody. You know, he re his instant recognition, um, names came straight to his 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 mind, and uh, um, and and he was just a fascinating, fascinating character. The, the, the wonderful thing, just saying, at, at the end of this Hungarian, and we're waffling on here, but at the end of the Hungarian thing, where they were this wonderful country talking about Uspastosa, and then there weren't any more. All the players that went abroad were not allowed back into the country in Puskas, right. as we know, went and played Real Madrid and all that, yes. but couldn't come back into the country. And just before he died, uh, Puskas was given permission, welcome back, and he went back home to an absolute hero's oh, worship well welcome back yeah. in Budapest. And what do they call the international stadium now? The Ferenc Pushka Stadium. Yes. And so they should. Yeah. And so they should. Oh, and all the players come back. When I went over for this reunion with Uspes, all their great players, Dunai and Bene, and they played against us, had been refused permission because by then he had had the uprising. And once the uprising was put down, the door was locked on players getting out. Puskas, etc., had got out early in that. He, he was already out. out. He was playing for Real Madrid. He got out and didn't and, come back in. And, and, and what the football authorities in. did, John, was because they weren't allowed back in, they couldn't then play for their country, so they were allowed to, to well, play Well, they did, for, but I mean, Di Stefano played for about every country outside of the Faroe Islands. I mean, <laughs> they, <laughs> I mean, I think he played for three countries. Three countries, yes, he did, Spain. and so and so did Alfredo Di Stefano. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, they, South you know, American it just, countries, it just Spain, happened in there, and Puskas played for Spain. But mm. he, I was delighted that he actually got back home, got back, got the the wonderful reaction. But when I was talking to Benny and uh, Judai and all the their great players, the Ush best players. Because that was 69, the uprising had been before that, earlier yes. in the 60s. They had not been allowed to go abroad and play their football. So they played their football out in Hungary um, and they were getting on at that stage and then retired. And they are still the stars of Uspest today. I know we remember all the stars. The fans all remember you, Malcolm, and the, Alan Shearer and Ward Jackie when he was alive. But to the Uspestosa fans, those stars of 1969 are still the stars because they haven't had any stars since of yes. that calibre, of mm. that calibre. So they're still hero worship everywhere. They, there's old age pensioners going all over the city and they're <laughs> the superstars of today, the football superstars of today. It was yeah. quite unique <laughs> to see, but uh, happy times. Yeah, Indeed. happy times. Uh, we uh, are nearly out of time on here. Chris Banks did say uh, England have a good record in the World Cup. He says back home, world in motion, three lions. I see what you did there. Very good, Chris. Yeah. Newcastle are away to Southampton this weekend, though, uh, Malcolm. Uh, last couple of games before the World Cup break. Uh, what do you reckon is going to happen this weekend, Mal? Well, try and score against Newcastle. I, I, I think that's... Uh, um, that's going to be the real head scratcher in the Southampton dressing room because Newcastle, they are, they are looking absolutely incredibly organised. Um, and, and I'm just loving the way that they're actually playing because Trippier, he, 
when he defends, he defends great. But then he just floods forward um, and, and offers so much um, service into the box. And so, uh, and, and this is why I, I, I think that he plays Burn at left back, because all the time that Trippier goes forward, um, the, the three just shuffle across a bit so that they're covering pretty much the whole, um, the whole of the width of the pitch. And, uh, and, and, and they just look absolutely unbeatable. That Nobody has let in any less than Newcastle, which I think now it's 10 goals, isn't it? Um, in, in, in a lot more games. So uh, uh, that's at the very worst... I can see Newcastle coming away with a nil-nil draw. Okay, um, the very worst. But um, I think I mean, still... for me, for me, Southampton are nothing like the club they were three or four seasons ago. They have lost seven league games in thirteen. We have lost one in thirteen. They have scored eleven goals in thirteen. Just eleven goals. We scored 16 goals in October. So, um, you know, uh, there isn't a comparison. All things being equal in this game, I don't think they have much chance whatsoever. I believe that um, we know what Eddie Howe does. We don't try to second-guess his teams. But during this run... Is loyal to the players that get the good results. We've just won 4 0, so I expect them to make no change outside of Joe Linton's replacement because he's banned. He's got to yeah. make one change. Joe Linton played left wing, using old terminology, left side of a front three, uh, rather than midfield in the last game. Sure. So Maxi can come back in there because he's almost fit. Murphy can play there. Even mm. Fraser could play there. Willick and Longstaff can play alongside uh, Bruno. Too early for Shelby, I think. And um, I expect us to go down there and I'm going for a 2-0 win. 2-0 win. Great stuff, lads. Uh, I think Newcastle can get a 2-1 win. I'm going with Tim Cairns' prediction there. So, uh, yeah, a positive weekend is what we need. And then into the Cup during the week. Lads, absolute pleasure uh, to spend a little bit of time with you as usual. It's gone down a treat in the chat as well. Loads of people loving tonight's show because of the uh, the historical uh, lookbacks as well. Uh, but as always, lads, thanks for your company and I will see you next week. Take care. Indeed. Take care, guys. Enjoy Bye. it, everyone. Bye-bye. A big thanks to all our sponsors, starting with Skips and Bins, telephone 0800 2545 253, email inquiries at skipsandbins.com, website easy contract free and pay-as-you-go waste collection. Uh, thanks to Darren Baldwin Funerals, you can find them at 304 Old Durham Road on Gateshead, uh, telephone 0191 email darren at darrenbaldwinfunerals.co.uk or the website darrenbaldwinfunerals.com. .co.uk. Thanks to Garden of Healing Dispensary, CBD Hemp and Cannabinoid Specialists. Their website is the gohd.com. And thanks to Three Property Investments, who specialise in sourcing investment properties for their clients who are looking to invest in the Northeast. They offer a full in-house service from sourcing the deals to managing the properties for you. They've done over 100 plus deals in the past 12 months for clients all over the UK. Give the guys a follow on Instagram, matty.patter underscore northeast property and phil.read underscore northeast property or email phil at 3property.co.uk should you be interested in getting a good property deal. Thanks to Mr. Vicky's Sources, which are handmade in Cumbria. You can order them by going to the website, mrvickies.co.uk or by calling 01768 210102. Thanks to the guys at Blue Hole Brewery. You can find them at blueholebrewery.co.uk. Got a vast range of beers. They're a new brewery company uh, and their cans are suitably uh, addressed like the Jolly Juice here in the strips of Newcastle United from the 90s. Big thank you to Media Arts for all the help with the video side of things and aqtechshop.co.uk, the makers of pool tables and snooker tables in Walls End, Newcastle and the guys who run our website. If you want to subscribe, then hit the subscription button. If you want to hit the likes, then hit the thumb up. And please share your uh, social media. 
We're also available as a podcast on iTunes and Spotify, and the rest goes up 24 hours after the show has finished. If you want to join, well, you can click join underneath the video and become a member for a small fee. If you want to pay the £25 fee and get a cup, a pen, a scarf, a membership card, and entry into the monthly draw, then go to the website, nufcmatters.com, and click membership, or use your smartphone on the QR code, which will take you straight there. We also give you a free car sticker. If you're a subscriber, simply email john at nufcmatters.com to claim your free car window sticker today. We also support the food bank on here, nufcfansfoodbank.co.uk, is where you can find the match day bucket and make a virtual donation 365 days of the year. We still do a lot of events in and around the region. If you want to see Super Mac pre-match and after match, you can go to the Dog and Parrot in Newcastle and uh, hear Malcolm give his views on the uh, game and uh, and listen to what he has to say about his career as well. Always a great afternoon. Kids are welcome. Good food, good beer. And get yourself into Pumphrey's. Uh, you can always see John Anderson and John Gibson in there pre-match on the cloth market in Newcastle. A couple of events coming up in 2023, an evening with Peter Beardsley, Friday the 10th of February at St. Dom's Catholic Club. You can get the tickets direct from the venue. And Peter Beardsley is also at the Tyneside Irish Centre on Friday, February the 17th. Tickets available from Woucher for that one. Get yourself on the Woucher, make a cracking Christmas present for any Newcastle fan. Also, an evening with Rob Lee, Lee Clark and John Beresford, Friday the 2nd of June 2023 at the Grand Hotel in Gosforth. Uh, tickets for that are available from www.healandtour.org.uk forward slash events. And if you fancy a Christmas jumper, get the Bruno Christmas jumper from nufcmatters.com. <laughs>